Hey everyone, my name is Dara Benyukar and this is The Shakespeareance. If you haven't listened before, I, along with my former English teacher, Mr. Letterer, talk about Shakespeare. In this season, we're talking about Hamlet, and in this episode, we're breaking into Act 2 with the discussion of Scene 1. I hope you enjoy. All right, so we're in Act 2 already. Crazy. So we um, are. Crazy is the right word for Act 2. Yes. Mad. Okay, overview. So Polonius has Reynaldo, his servant, go to France in order to see what Polonius's son, Laertes, is up to. He has Reynaldo make up and kind of tell people things like how Laertes likes to party a lot. And, you know, based on their responses, um, he's telling Reynaldo to be able to tell whether he actually does party a lot based off, you know, their reactions. Um, and then after that, Ophelia enters and tells Polonius about a strange encounter she had with Hamlet. Polonius says he needs to tell the king about what happened. Sure that Hamlet has gone crazy because he is in love with her. Polonius asks if Hamlet and Ophelia had contact before this. And Ophelia clarifies that she hadn't because Polonius basically instructed her to stop talking to him, um, even though she didn't really want to. And that is kind of its own form of deception. But that's a later topic. So the first thing is that Polonius tells Reynaldo to get information about Laertes, but the instructions are basically to mislead people about his knowledge of Laertes in order to get, get information out of them. Um, so that in the first lines of the act, of course, we're already starting out with deception that is representative of the rest of the play. But after this, Polonius says, observe Laertes' inclination yourself. And so basically what he's instructing Reynaldo to do is to lie, to get people to tell him the truth about his son. And Polonius doesn't even trust what they're actually going to say. So I thought it was funny. He's telling Reynaldo to lie, to get responses, but he doesn't actually tr- trust the responses. And he wants Reynaldo to see the truth himself. So it's like, at least if Polonius is a liar, he's aware that he shouldn't necessarily trust others. Well, and I mean, I think that this goes, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot since the last conversation that we had, which is this idea of like, okay, so you're an artist, uh, you're Shakespeare or whoever, right? And you want to convey these very complex emotions and you want to convey this inner turmoil. So you can't just do it directly. You can't just write about things. So if this is Shakespeare writing about grief, about grieving for his son, if this is Shakespeare writing about loss and writing about writing about struggling with his own faith, right? Then if he just writes that straight, then, I mean, A, it hits a little bit too close for home. Then he's got to stand there and put on the play and watch it in front of everybody, right? But But B, like, the problem with art is that then by going at something too directly, then oftentimes you miss the point entirely, which is ironic and weird and backwards, but that's, but that's art sometimes. And so I think what's, what's so interesting about this stuff is that this then sets up this paradigm in which we begin to think about what is truth. What is the nature of truth? And how do you get at truth? And I think that that then 
unleashes this whole torrent of, of doubt. So it's like, if you're going to create a situation where you want to make your audience members deeply feel the essence of doubt, like this is a pretty darn good way to do it. So it's, it's, it's an interesting, an interesting meditation, but anyways, yeah. So that, that takes us to, you know, everybody's, everybody's lying and you can't trust a liar and the, the liar is the least trusting of them all. Well, just w- about what you said about truth and I guess kind of objectivity in the next scene, act two, scene two, um, Hamlet eventually says, there's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so, which basically is him pointing out there's no objective good or evil. So, you know, we talk about how before Shakespeare, um, the concept of good and evil was more defined. Uh, you know, the characters were flatter while Shakespeare's characters have more dimension. And here Shakespeare is providing to some extent, a philosophical explanation of why he portrays his characters like this, because good or bad, and even truth and not truth, it's not definite. And it's really about your perception of things. Well, I mean, yeah, you're laying, and, and it's also interesting because again, we see Shakespeare, the right person, the right place at the right time, planting the seeds of modernism. So we get this like moral relativism you know, which you see come to full fruition and stuff like Nietzsche, right? The whole, he named his book Beyond Good and Evil, right? It's, it, it's subjective. Um, but like, I think it's just so interesting that Shakespeare just sort of throughout his works plants the garden that will become modern Western thought. Like, and this is one of the ideas and this is how he does it. And it, he just drops this stuff in so casually. And obviously, you know, the genesis of this stuff goes back even further. I think another thing that I've really been thinking about is the connection between Hamlet and the book of Job. Um, And the idea of in the book of Job, there's this, you know, whole weird twisted logic, which is that it's Satan who makes Job suffer, but he does so with God's blessing. And so Satan is a creature of God's creation, right? And so it's then you get into this whole idea of like, if, if again, it's this indirect meditation on faith, because if you sort of take it a few steps further, then it's kind of like, okay, well, if there are all these evils in the world, then are these evils not part of God? And if God is, is good, but God also encompasses all things evil, then and created both good and evil and god is beyond those things right exists in a realm that is that is beyond human morality then that's sort of where hamlet's leaning but then this is the pathway to madness because then you're you're you know sort of trying to penetrate the impenetrable you know and to quote nietzsche um you know Sometimes when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back. And therein lies the problem, right? So it's uh, it, it starts to get really, the waters get deep in this play real quick. So the next thing is something I noticed, but I didn't 
see too much discourse about like when I was researching it, but when Ophelia is describing what Hamlet did to her in the closet, it's kind of ambiguous, but it can definitely be read like he raped her. And do you think this is what Shakespeare was trying to convey? And why couldn't he have made it more explicit? Even like I said, when I was trying to find other people's opinions on this online, I didn't really see all that much. Well, I mean, look, you know, this that this comes to the idea of having these open ended passages that are not really well defined. And did Shakespeare do it on purpose or did he miss a trick or is this plot hole? Um, You know, and there are the purists who are like Shakespeare didn't make mistakes, you know, which is baloney because Shakespeare was imperfect and you know all you need to do is is read the tempest to realize that some of his plays work less well than others um and are still great but I mean you know plot holes to drive trucks through um but it's I think that I, I would agree with that interpretation I definitely agree that 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 the what happened in the closet was a, was a sexual assault okay um because of all the sort of psychosexual stuff that's swirling around it. But I would again go back to the the the, the central problem of the play, okay, which is you don't know and you'll never know and you don't get to know. So you may well be right, but you're also probably wrong. And that's what it means to be a human being trying to decipher divine will and in the face of horrific events things that are unspeakable things that are awful things that are abominations and are 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 just evil and you know that you and and what does it say about hamlet right i mean we go back to the idea that that you know um and I, and I think this is such a great sort of like um, Rosetta Stone kind of concept for understanding all of Hamlet um, is the idea that the, the ghost of King Hamlet says that he was assassinated by somebody pouring poison in his ear. When we can turn that around and say that that's exactly what he's doing to his son. And you put poison in and poison comes out. So I think that with, is there a definite interpretation? No, I I think you can sit there and you can argue it till the cows come home, right? As the saying goes. But um, I think that that's the most sort of plausible. Now, why didn't he make it more overt? I mean, again, because this is a meditation on what, is real and what is not real and what can be proved and what cannot be proved. And that the truth is a slippery thing. Um, and I think that if Shakespeare would have wanted to make it like a Greek tragic tragedy where, you know, this was a, a, a maiden who was ravaged as the Greeks would have written, right. Then he would have gone right ahead and written it as such. Um, but if it's ambiguous, I think Hamlet is too good of a work. I think Hamlet is one of Shakespeare's masterworks. Um, it's definitely 
at the time, I don't think it's his greatest play. I think that's Lear, um, you know, and people can argue with me all day long and they'll, they'll say, you're such a fuddy-duddy, that's such a purist to say Lear is Shakespeare's best work. But but I think Lear is the most profound. Um, but I think with Hamlet, it's it's a masterwork. I mean, it's just one of his absolute best. It was at the peak of his powers and it was on a topic and with a passion that was hard to argue wasn't absolutely inspired, you know, by pain and loss and rage and the unfairness of it all. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I'm good at giving long answers to short questions. I realize that I am an English teacher. You knew this going in. Um, but it's, it's just, it's so, it, that's the thing that, that I love about this play is that the more you think about it, the less certain you are, the more you examine it, the less certain you are. And that's such a great meditation on faith. Like, and then you have these moments where you're so sure and you're like, I know, I know it's this. And then it's like 20 minutes later, you're like, but yeah, but maybe not. So I don't know, but I do think that, that, and this, I think also is a really important thing about Shakespeare is if you choose to interpret that, what happened in the closet in that manner, then it dictates so much and explains so much in a particular way of what happens next when all the other dominoes fall. And if you choose to, to just sort of brush it off and say, well, that's not really what happened. It was just, you know, whatever, you know, something much more innocent or, or maybe something much more mild and not as extreme, then it also dictates how you interpret the later events in the play. But I think that when we ultimately learn of what happens to Ophelia and what her final fate is, um, it makes a heck of a lot of sense that it was an assault. So I don't know. That's yeah. my, that's my take. No, that's true. When, when we get to that, we can talk about it. So at the end of the scene, when Polonius explains that he must tell the king that Hamlet's love for Ophelia made Hamlet go crazy. Yes. Polonius closes it off with this must be known, which being kept close might move more grief to hide than hate to utter love. When I read this, it seemed to me that Polonius is talking about why it would be bad to keep this a secret. It seems to me again, that okay. Shakespeare likes to put something funny or important at the end of each scene Again, it makes sense to have this structure. It is a play after all, and he wanted playgoers to stay engaged. Um, but in the first few in the first few scenes, they close with something, you know, something bad is going to happen. Um, and now at the end of the scene, which had like at least three instances of deception, Polonius is saying that it's the best to tell the truth. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, Shakespeare's, you know, stock and trade was irony, you know, of all sorts. So, you know, I mean, no, I agree. I mean, I think that that coming from coming from that coming from Polonius, uh, it, it is ironic and it is. Uh, but I think that it's, you know, noteworthy, too, that it's it's subtle. 
if it's if there's if there's humor there and there is um it is very dry um this is not a a you know there's not a lot of yucks uh in hamlet um so but yeah i mean i do think it's a, i think coming from coming from polonius it's a, it, it is a very ironic statement That was Act 2, Scene 1 of Hamlet. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions or feedback, please let us know at theshakespeareanspodcast at gmail.com. Next time, we'll be diving into Act 2, Scene 2. It's the longest scene of the play, so there's a lot to discuss. I hope to see you there.